Our second reading on this fourth Sunday of Advent comes from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter beginning with the 39th verse. In the passage immediately preceding this one, the angel Gabriel has visited Mary and announced to her the child that she will bear. This is what happens next. Friends, let us continue listening now for a word from God. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her own womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, saying, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear, Mary. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said in response, or perhaps more accurately, Mary sang in response these words. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. The Lord has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Friends, these too are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, The Holy Lowly. Let us pray. Advent God, lower whatever ego, whatever expectations, whatever sureness we have brought with us to church this day. Quiet us, O God. Open our hearts, unclog our ears, prepare the way that we might hear your word afresh. For you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few years back, someone began stealing the baby Jesus from a neighborhood in Chicago. One night a family went to sleep and they checked their front yard and there was Jesus. And the next morning when they woke up sipping their coffee, gazing out the window, they noticed that he was gone. 
A young pastor walked into her church in those chilly pre-dawn northern Illinois hours and just happened to glance at the nativity that had been set up in the lawn of the church and noticed likewise that one of the most important characters in it was no longer present. It went on and on like that for several weeks, yard after yard, church after church, found their baby Jesus missing. As it turns out, it was a prank. They know it was a prank because an unsuspecting woman woke one day late in December and looked out her own window and saw there, neatly organized by type and size, 32 plastic baby Jesuses. The police were notified, who in turn notified the victims. One by one, people began showing up in this woman's yard to collect their Jesus. That's when the real problem started, though. People began trading up. They began leaving that woman's yard with a nicer Jesus than the one they had started with in their own. One observer remembered, or observed rather, that everybody that Christmas seemed to want a freshly painted, unfaded baby Jesus. They began trading up. That's how we all are sometimes, isn't it? We are people who like to trade up in life. If there's one point, this story from Luke's gospel, the story of Mary and her cousin Elizabeth seeks to make, I think, it is that though we are that way, God is not. Instead, it seems that God seems to desire to work most prominently and most clearly through the lowly through those who are fated by time, through those who have all the dents and scratches of life to show what it has brought. Consider those two women, Mary, a poor young girl, pregnant, out of wedlock, something looked down upon by our own society, it seems, which makes it easy to imagine how difficult it must have been all those years ago. And Elizabeth, old and barren, the disappointing wife of the local priest. Indeed, I think this story on the fourth Sunday of Advent is not so much a story about how God chooses to come, but rather who God chooses to come into the world through. It is a story when we step back and consider it in its fullness that might best be described with a single word. Remarkable. Many years ago, a seminary professor and his wife were on vacation in the great smoky mountains of eastern Tennessee. They gathered one night together for a dinner at a nice restaurant in the town in which they were staying, one with great views of the mountains. They were looking forward to it all day, sitting there at a table by themselves, perhaps with a candle set between them. 
Almost as soon as they got there, though, even before they were able to give their orders to the waiter, an elderly man across the restaurant noticed them and came over to begin making small talk. Are you on vacation, he asked. They answered, yes, we are. Where are you from, he asked. Oklahoma, Oklahoma. What do you do there? The seminary professor remembers that under his breath, but almost audible, what he was trying to say to this man was, leave us alone. We don't even know who you are. Yes, we're on vacation, and we'd prefer to keep it that way. Instead, of course, he replied, well, I'm a Christian minister. A Christian minister? What denomination, the man asked. The Christian church, disciples of Christ, he replied. The elderly man paused a moment and he said, you know, I owe a great deal to a minister of the Christian church. And with that, he pulled up a chair and took a seat. The professor tried to sound sincere when he told the man, yes, please have a seat. But in fact, he was not being sincere. He wondered who this man was and why he was interrupting their vacation. The man began in on his story, and the professor remembers it this way. That elderly gentleman began by saying, you know, I grew up in these mountains. My mother, she was not married, and the whole community here, they knew it. I was what is called an illegitimate child, or at least in those days what they called an illegitimate child. That was a shame in those times, and I... I was ashamed. The reproach that fell on my mother, of course, fell also on me. When I went into town with her, I could see people staring at me, making guesses as to who my father was. At school, the children, they said ugly things to me all the time, and so I stayed to myself during recess, and I ate my lunch alone as well. In my early teens, he continued, I began to attend a little church back in the mountains called Laurel Springs Christian Church. Had a minister who was both attractive and frightening. He had this chiseled face and a heavy beard and a deep voice. I went there to hear him preach. I don't know exactly why, but that that pastor's preaching, it did something for me. However, I was afraid, he said. I was afraid that I was not welcome in that church since I was, as they put it, a bastard. So I would go just in time for the sermon each week, and when it was over, I would move out. I'd get out of there because I was afraid that someone might catch me and say, what's a boy like you doing in church? One Sunday, though, some people, they queued up in the aisle before I could get out, and I was stopped there. Before I could make my way through the group, I felt this heavy hand on my shoulder. It was that minister. And I cut my eyes around, and I caught a glimpse of that beard and that chin, and I knew who it was, and I trembled. I trembled in fear. He turned his face around so he could see mine, and he seemed to be staring for a little bit too long. And I knew what he was doing. He was going to make a guess as to who my father was. A moment later, that pastor, he said, Well, boy, you're a child of... And he paused there. And I knew in that pause what was coming. 
I knew I would have my feelings hurt. I knew I would not go back to that church ever again. And then that pastor with the chiseled face and the full beard and the deep voice, he said to me, boy, you are a child of God. I see a striking resemblance. And then he swatted me on the bottom and he said, now you go and claim your inheritance. That elderly gentleman sitting there, he remembered that story and he said at its end, you know, I left that building a different person. In fact, that day was in many ways the beginning of my life. The professor, a man by the name of Fred Craddock, was so moved by the story that had just been told to him that he turned to that elderly man and he asked him, what's your name? And the man said, Ben Hooper. And Craddock recalled then and there, though vaguely, his own father talking when he was just a little boy in Tennessee about how the people of that state had twice elected as governor an illegitimate boy by the name of Ben Hooper. Remarkable. I know who you are. The story of Elizabeth and Mary is an I know who you are kind of story. And as it happens, it is our story as well. To the working mom stretched thin by children who want more attention than she has time to give and more energy than she can possibly muster at the end of the day to the dad who has cancer way too young, to the person for whom retirement is not exactly a welcome word, to the spouse facing their first or second or third or thirtieth Christmas alone, to the older person for whom life seems to have lost some, if not all, of its zest, the hourly worker who works and works from day to night and yet still seems unable to purchase that gift their child wants most. To the immigrant stuck on a path between a home where they're not safe and a border where they are not welcome. To a person with a million dollars in the bank account and not a cent of self-worth in their souls. To children like Ben Hooper who have never really known a childhood to a young girl in a backwater town of Palestine, and to an old woman far past childbearing age, to a world full of people who are intent on trading up, comes that voice of God. I know who you are. You are the one through whom I will bring life and light into this world. Craddock would later say about that encounter that Ben Hooper had not just told him a story. Ben Hooper had told him the story. Remarkable. As it happens, when you hear the story, the story, there's really only one thing left to do. It's what Mary does in this story from Luke's Gospel. 
you sing. Mary sings those incredible words that we know most readily as the Magnificat. She sings saying, my, glo- my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. God has brought down rulers and lifted up the humble. God has filled the hungry and sent the rich away empty. God has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. You know, songs of faith, those are powerful things, are they not? I think of the Psalms that have been read for thousands of years now, reminding the people of Israel of God's steadfastness, God's mercy, even when everything in this world seems to say otherwise. I think of those great spirituals sung in the fields of slavery, spirituals that would sustain a movement for justice and righteousness in our own civil rights movement. Songs of faith are powerful things. They have brought down dictators, they have ended wars, and they have been blankets of peace for us in times of grief and turmoil. When God's people hear that I know who you are, they sing. When Mary hears that I know who you are, she sings. Even before the babe is in the manger, even before the gifts are unwrapped and the last of the breakfast casserole is eaten and the dishes are scraped clean, Mary sings, even before that which she has faith in has arrived, her voice and her living proclaim faith in the good news that God will arrive. She sings. I heard a story about Fred Rogers once. Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers fame. He was in New York City on business and he got caught in the rain without an umbrella. None of the taxis were stopping either, so he and his friend, they ducked into a subway and they got on one of the trains there. It was late in the day and the train was crowded with children who were going home from school. Though of all races, he remembers the school children were mostly black and Latino on that train. Now, most of the time when Fred Rogers was out in public, he'd get stopped nonstop for autographs and pictures. But that day, on that train, not a single person approached Mr. Rogers to ask him for an autograph. Instead, They sang, all at once, all together, the people on that train, they sang the song that Mr. Rogers sang at the beginning of every program, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Fred Rogers, thinking back on that moment, said that in their singing, Those children and those people in that congregation, they turned that clattering train into a single soft runaway choir. They sang. Remarkable, isn't it? Have you ever felt like one of those 
picked over lawn ornaments? Have you ever been that scared child, ashamed of who you are? Does life sometimes feel like one long ride on a clambering train? Is lowly a word that means something more than just height to you? Friends, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. For tomorrow we rejoice. But today, today we sing. Thanks be to God. Amen.